One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we welcome you along to the programme, email always available to you, Cork Today at c103.ie. But can I just start uh, the programme by saying that our thoughts uh, and prayers are very much with the family of uh, Tina Satchwell because today is the day that Tina's family finally get to lay her to uh, rest. And that's what, six and a half years after she first went missing and now uh, a fortnight after her body was found. And neighbours and friends will be able to say their final goodbye to uh, Tina because her funeral cortege is going to pass by her former home in Formoy. She grew up in St Bernard's Place in Formoy, lived there for many years and the plan is that the funeral cortege will pass through St Bernard's Place in Formoy and that's expected this afternoon at 12.30 and then her funeral would take place quietly and privately and that's on the wish of the uh, family and I think they are possibly uh, doing the right thing there but are, are we, we think of uh, Tina and may her gentle soul uh, rest in peace but very much thinking of her family and uh, friends. It is the sort of end of uh, a nightmare in some ways but then their life now continues knowing that Tina will never uh, come back to them so we think of them all today but if you're in the Formoy uh, area and you want to pay your respects it's at half past 12 the funeral cortege passing through St Bernard's Place. 0818 the cost of petrol and diesel making the headlines today. Now, it has held steady over the last month. If you're one of those people that keep an eye on the four courts, uh, the prices have been pretty much uh, stable, which has been kind of the best that we can hope for. But there's a but coming. The next couple of weeks, it could lead to few prices rising. Experts are saying that the situation in the Middle Middle East now has the oil markets on uh, edge. Obviously, the attack on Israel by Hamas and then the follow-up Israeli military operations in the Gaza Strip, that is now raising fears of a wider Middle East conflict erupting. And, of course, that will have a knock-on effect for the rest of the world by way of a rise in crude oil prices. Yesterday they were trading at $90 a barrel. But if you look back just to the eve of the Hamas attacks, the barrel of oil was at $84. So it's already gone up $6. But some experts are fearful that the crude oil, the, the price of the barrel of crude oil could go up to a $100 a barrel and some international uh, analysts are even saying that the crude oil could go over the $100 a barrel. Now, the latest AA Ireland survey is out and it's showing that prices were relatively stable across this month of October. Now, that's despite there was higher carbon tax that was imposed on the budget and came in on midnight uh, on the budget and there was volatility in crude prices, but they have managed 
to stay relatively stable this month. And Blake Boland of AA Ireland says that that political situation in the Middle East, while that remains unstable, the markets are already starting to show signs of nervousness and that will have a knock-on effect, particularly for pricing as we head into the winter months. So the latest AA Ireland monthly fuel price survey, it actually shows a slight drop in petrol and diesel prices over the last four weeks. And these are average prices. Uh, obviously, petrol is down from 185 a litre. That's what it was in September. It's down to 183. And diesel is down from 185 to 184. So just a very slight drop on last month. And of course, the contrast there is last September when we were talking about the fuel prices, they really had jumped. In September, the petrol went up by 15 cent a litre and diesel went up by 21 uh, cent. And of course, because it was rising in September, the government then, in all of its wisdom, decided to defer what would have been another hike in excise uh, duty. And that certainly, if the government had gone ahead with that, which was planned for the end of October, wasn't it? Or was it the beginning of October? It was No, it was the end of October it was due to come in. It would have meant that the price of a litre of petrol and diesel, we would have been looking at it today being around the two euro a litre mark. But thankfully, they saw sense. The AA said the market is still unsettled uh, with changes to taxes and duties having an impact on prices. Now, they say that the recent budget increase in, on the carbon tax, carbon tax went from 48.50 to 56 euro a, a tonne emitted, and that had an effect of adding up to three cent a litre for both petrol and diesel. But we had a fall in wholesale prices around the same time and that negated the impact of the increase in carbon tax. So therefore, we didn't see any increase at the uh, pumps. Uh, But uh, keep our fingers uh, crossed that the situation in the Middle East was somehow uh, stable. If not, we are in for paying more for petrol and diesel. And of course, the knock-on will be more for home heating oil as well. But later on on the programme, uh, I'll hopefully get a chat to go through what the government announced yesterday by way of approved funding for two separate schemes now to help out the businesses and the households that were worst hit by the flooding that occurred last last week. And God knows we had more flooding this week as well. And I'll go through that later on. But there is some commentary in about the flooding and contacted us late yesterday. I just didn't get a chance uh, to get to her comment. And she was listening to some of the people who were on the programme, particularly Kate was on uh, talking about how devastating the floods have been on her family at home. And it was their third time being flooded in the last uh, few years. Um, and Anne was listening to various interviews that we did about flooding and of course the criticism of the OPW and why flood relief schemes haven't been put in place but Anne reckons that that isn't where we should be drawing our focus to. She says we need to look back upstream and look what happened over the past 60 years. A lot of wetlands have been drained. They were natural sponges. Hedgerows have been removed. Go back to basics. We need to slow down the flow of the water coming off the land and and it will slow down the water coming into towns and villages. By building and creating great big walls as flood defence forces, it only pushes the problem to the next town further down the stream. So she's critical of flood relief projects that have been put in place. And then a really, really good uh, email came in to uh, Cork today. 
uh, at c103.ie. Morning, Patricia. Hope all is well. Please don't mention my name in relation to this uh, article, uh, but it's just an observation from a student that was attentive in geography class long, long ago. One word that I remember from geography class in school is the term cask landscape. I remember being told that it referred to an area of topography in the former country of Yugoslavia. Limestone ground with all its attributes associated to it. Caves, caverns, underground streams, rivers, sinkholes and the likes. To make a comparison here in, con- here in this country, you could say that the Burren in County Clare falls very much into this domain. The floodplains of Middleton, Rathcormac and Castle Martyr and the likes are a picture snapshot of this cask region. Limestone genes abound. The characteristics of this landscape are the sponges for these floodplains in times of flooding. My question to the powers that be is, why have they allowed the natural characteristics of these landscapes be upset and interfered with? When foundations were and are constructed for all of these developments within the hinterland of local streams and rivers traversing such landscape, water follows the law of gravity and it seeks its own level. Devastating with disastrous consequences. I look forward to your listeners' feedback. There's a lot of people will agree with you on that. How often have we heard from people? I remember the numerous times when the beautiful town of Bandon used to flood and they've since had their flood relief system thankfully put in place. But how often did we hear from the older generation in Bandon who would have said growing up there was a particular field that they always remembered every single winter without fail uh, would flood. Lo and behold, they decided to put, you know, some kind of a development uh, on it, be it a commercial development or maybe they built homes. And then people are wondering uh, why that particular area floods, you know, the natural floodplains are there to take the water when we get extreme uh, weathers. And, uh, you know, this listener is right if it is nowhere to go, water follows the law of gravity and it will seek its own uh, level. And last week, unfortunately, it sought its own level by rushing through businesses and homes. Thank you for your email to Cork Today at c103.ie. Barney and business owners have established a new one-stop shop protocol for reporting suspected fraudulent insurance claims. It's part of a wider push to crack down on these bogus claims. The new arrangement was signed by Insurance Ireland and Gerda Siakona and the Alliance for Insurance Reform. And joining me from the Alliance, Brian Handley, who is their CEO. Good morning to you, Brian. Good morning, Patricia. And and you're welcome. Isn't it fair to say, Brian, that we all end up paying for fraudulent claims? I mean, this isn't a victimless crime. It certainly is not. Uh, Fraudulent and unfair claims harm motorists, businesses, charities. You know, they harm communities. I mean, such those types of claims can hang over people as well on their policies while, you know, the the claim is uh, is outstanding, potentially for years and and go as a loading on their premiums. It is absolutely something that impacts everyone up and down the up and down the country, really. So will it now be up to insurance companies to increase their fraud investigation? Yes, I I think building on the signing of the protocol yesterday, what's really important now is that insurers need on a regular and consistent basis to challenge suspect claims in court, not to settle them. If they settle them, it might, you know, be in the short term financially expedient, but in the long term, it deprives them and us of the savings 
uh, of not paying out to people who are making unfair unfair claims. And the second point I'd make is that insurance companies have considerable resources available to them, certainly relative to individual motorists or, or shopkeepers or sporting groups and the like. And so it is really essential now that they would invest adequate resources in their fraud detection units so that they can identify and challenge suspect claims. And it is very frustrating, isn't it, for Brian, uh, for a business owner when an insurance company just decides to settle and sometimes they do it and don't even inform the business owner. I think that must be one of the most frustrating things that uh, people tell me about is when they hear months later, maybe when they go to renew their premium and they hear that it's gone up and they ask why and oh, there was a settlement made and they never they never knew. And that's hugely frustrating. And so I think that where there are sus- suspicions around a claim, well, individuals now, members of the Alliance, you know, will be able to go and report claims centrally to a dedicated office in the guards. You know, maybe they have dash cam footage or, or CCTV and the like. And maybe they'll be able to at least at least take steps in, the, in that direction because it's it's um, well, I don't think insurance fraud is, you know, I don't think most people would ever consider uh, making a fraudulent claim or anything like that. But I think I think maybe sometimes a blind eye or it's just, you know, we know someone who's done it and sure what mm. about. Mm. But actually, I think it needs to become much more socially unacceptable. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Because, because absolutely. Of the yeah, a little bit like, you know, drink driving has become socially unacceptable. I think it should be the very same for a fraudulent insurance claim. That's exactly right. I completely agree. And I know one of one of your uh, board members, uh, Tracy Sheridan, she told a really interesting story that, you know, and this is it, it exactly proves the point of an insurance company settling. Can you tell that story what Tracy was talking about yesterday? Oh, I understand. That's right. Tracy had the um, it was play centre uh, attended her play centre, and they uh, reported that they were injured with a piece of glass that they found in the play centre, and uh, that 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 went on. But immediately after that person left the premises, another person came up and said that they saw the individual extricate a piece of glass from their sock or their top and cut themselves with it, and yet. Without 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 recourse to, to back to Tracy, this claim ultimately ended up being settled, much to her frustration. And so it's cases like that that really, really, really get people yeah, and, upset and, and annoyed and, and, because and of she, the injustice of it. She knew nothing until she went to no. to pay her premium and and was told that there was an undisclosed claim made. Just horrifying, horrifying. And 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 that's a typical example. Uh, that somebody like that, Tracy, could instantly contact this phone line. I mean, is is, is that what you're talking about? Absolutely. Could ha- yes, happen now? Absolutely. And I, I think having and having that centralised number, they will they will see more instances rather than maybe a very occasional one that might happen at an individual station. So they'll be able to assess the merit of it um, and see them more regularly. So they'll have a better sense uh, of whether they can build a case, and then they'll refer it out. It won't that they'll be investigating it themselves. And I think you know we can all see one wonders when a quick. Google are just reading the paper we can see you know people that have had multiple multiple mm. claims you know it's it's to see somebody maybe with five or six or even a dozen injury claims you know it, it does call to mind how, how unlucky can one person be um you know in those cases so I think if we can take the attitude that we really need to to that 
fraudulent and unfair claims are, are just unacceptable and that we are better at reporting it, insurers are better at investigating it and above all else that they don't settle suspect claims, then we can really start to make a difference in this area. So will it just be businesses will be able to contact this um, hotline well, or can members so of the public? Um, so look, if, if someone suspects a, a fraudulent, um, a fraud or indeed any crime, they can always report um, a claim to the Gardaí, absolutely. And so what this the MOU specifically um, is between Insurance Ireland and the Guards and also between the Alliance and the Guards and this has at least initially anyway this is the the reporting mechanism that will be available to and the Alliance represents you know there's 55 member organizations you know representing uh, 700,000 employees and 600,000 volunteers Um, so there's a huge number covered you know from different sectors all across society and what is important I think with this uh, the the protocol is that it is intended to be constantly and continually reviewed for effectiveness to see how to see how it is working um, but ultimately as I said like when you think where the resources lie it's typically with the insurers and so really it's incumbent upon them to investigate suspect claims and not leaving it to to a, to an individual motorist or to a small business and so on and that's where the focus needs to be okay Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086-2103-103. Cork today on C103. Next Sunday at 2am, the clocks will go back an hour as we move from daylight saving to standard time. But many people dread the longer, darker evenings, with some saying it interferes with their sleep pattern. Sheena Dunn is a sleep professional and she's got very strong views on the biannual clock changes. And I'm delighted to say she Sheena takes time out uh, to join us. Good morning to Sheena. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Uh, well, you're very welcome. Now, you wish that this could be the last ever clock change. And I have to say, a lot of our listeners will agree with you on that. What impact does that one hour have on our sleep-wake cycle? So, it's uh, yes, I do feel passionately. Um, the impact, it's a, it's a funny one because this weekend, actually, a lot of people will feel a little bit more refreshed. So as we move from daylight saving back into standard time, a lot of people will find this clock change easier. Maybe not if you have really small children, they'll wake up a little too early for you. But most people will will feel more refreshed um, because they'll be catching up on sleep. Um, But the the clock change that happens in spring is the one that has been shown by research and data to actually impact our health from more car crashes, more cardiac arrest, um, mental health impact and it, is, it does sound dramatic because it is quite impactful. And what's happening at the moment is there's, there's been an agreement everywhere. So in, in the EU, they've agreed about four years ago to abolish the um, biannual clock change. But what hasn't been agreed is when do we stop changing the clocks? Um, there's also a debate going on in America. A lot of people will know about the um, Sunshine Act. So this is the concept that you stay in daylight saving. Mm. And... Um, that was nearly passed through, but now, um, luckily, uh, we're seeing the um, like the American sleep societies and academies actually put forward really strong um, positions saying we need to stay in standard time for the benefit of our health. So, so if the, so, if you had your way, the clocks would go back as they're they're due to do on Sunday. And that would be it. We would be, we'd stay yes. in that time. So when the spring comes, we wouldn't be losing the hour. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So we wouldn't change at all again. We'd have a big, huge clock change party 
and <laughs> we would uh, move forward um, and we wouldn't have these two spikes. And I think what, what I find quite useful is um, to start asking, well, what, why does it matter? Because the reality is most people don't get enough sleep and are struggling to find the time um, and have poor sleep um, patterns. And what what is useful is then to say, okay, well, why does this really matter? So in the in the springtime, you move more out of alignment with like the natural light dark cycle, but you move completely in the wrong direction. So specifically in Ireland, everyone will know we have really bright, long summer evenings. Mm. Now, why does that matter to our sleep? So um, naturally, people are going to go to bed about 20 minutes later than people who don't live so west of, of this time zone. So again, why does that matter? And it only really matters because um, most people have commitments in the morning that are fixed. So your job will start at a certain time. Uh, your children's school will start at a certain time. So the reality is people are going to bed a little bit later, but they have to get up at the same time. So that means then over time, um, and like a compounding sort of effect, is we get less sleep. So that's really what why it matters. And then again, in autumn, we have another jolt and we have this change again. So it, then it takes about two weeks for people to get back into their natural um, sleep patterns. Yeah, you've you've actually studied sleep uh, medicine at Oxford uh, University. Why did, why did you become so interested in the topic? So it's so my my background. Yeah, wasn't in sleep before. I was working in Google, and they um, we were lucky. We had a sleep consultant come into us um, a few years ago now, and I just was fascinated by how little we know really about sleep. Like a lot of us will know about nutrition or exercise, and. I, I knew so little and also at the time um, I, I did have really poor sleep. Our daughter was about two and just with a stressful job and life, um, I wasn't getting enough sleep. Now, I, w- I wouldn't be a fan of um, pharmaceuticals and one of the sort of focuses of uh, our business, yes, sleep, is to have better sleep without the side effects. Um, so I, it just got me studying and researching and really interested in learning about sleep. Um, I then invented a weighted sleep product which is patented, and we've been selling online for the last three years. Um, but then I, I love learning and I love data, so I applied to Oxford then um, last year, and I was the only non-medical person to be on the on the course. So I've done well done. Uh, circadian rhythm and insomnia. I, I'm never going to set myself up as a sleep consultant. Our business is um, obviously we we manufacture products here in Ireland to help people sleep, but my goal really is to help improve sleep in Ireland and to help people find the right person to talk to to help their sleep. Okay, g- g- give us some of your top tips for a good night's sleep. Like we, we often hear the phrase, you know, good sleep hygiene, for example. Just explain all to that and, and what, what are the simple things we can all do that might help us? Yeah, um, the word hygiene always sort of makes me laugh because <laughs> like, it's, it's just such a bad name. Yeah, <laughs> like, I, I, it never makes sense. Yeah, like, it never do do? Yeah. Um, yeah, so, so I suppose um, the, the main thing this weekend would be a great time to think about it is to start prioritising our sleep. So I think if you value and you prioritise something, you're just going to think about it a little bit more and you're going to think about things that you do in the day that might impact it. So that's really important. Um, sunlight. So Sunlight and light is, if you don't know where to start, start with sunlight. So in the morning, um, if you can get out uh, within about 30 minutes of waking up. Now, our days are often quite uh, cloudy, so you probably need to be out for about 20 minutes. But 
that alone is like a prescription for your sleep. So what it does is it helps reset um, your body and help it be more energized in the day and then feel more tired in the evening. So get out and get some natural light. Um, there's more and more research on this and um, it, it truly is the, the most powerful thing you can do for, for your sleep. You don't have to be walking if you're not able to walk. Really try and not wear sunglasses. And I know that's controversial. Um, but again, it's about prioritizing your sleep. So if you if you know that having light go into your eyes in the morning is going to help you sleep, more people will do it. Um, then the, the smaller things then in terms of making a nice room environment for yourself and just making it feel like a space, like a cool, dark space that, that you'll enjoy with less technology. But again, on the light, so reduce your light in the evenings. Don't have bright lights in your house, which is good as well. You can save on the electricity. Mm-hmm. Um, but that does help. Um, so lots of light in the morning and then really reduce it. I suppose it's the sort of things we, we probably would do for babies. Yeah, try yeah. start doing it for ourselves. And start is, doing it for yourself. Is, yeah. And is the, the going to bed and getting up at the same time, are, are they all important? Yeah, so... Um, one of the reasons I I actually got so focused on sleep is a lot of the advice is really hard to follow. So if you live a normal life, you might be caring for older people, woken up by children, um, have different aches and pains. So this concept of always going to bed at the same time and always waking up, I just sort of struggled with how that was very useful for people. Um, so I think the the important thing to do, what, what can you control? And I suppose you can control when you wake up. Um, and if you if you wake up at the same time, you'll start, it's called sleep pressure, you'll start helping your body feel more tired in the evening. So don't worry about going to sleep at the same time at the beginning. Just try and wake up at the same time and try and do that like consistently. Get up and out, get the sun um, and then start. It's all about small steps, as I'm sure you know. Yeah. Um, but it's, I think some of the rules are so restrictive um, and like at CS, we, we know that people's lives are messy and the hardest thing for tired people is to change their habits. So that's why we, yeah, we, we recognise that um, truly. Okay, a lot of people uh, agreeing with you. Uh, John and Clonakilty uh, says Sheena is right about the clock changes, uh, but John says he's uh, he's looking forward to the extra lie-in next weekend. It makes a big difference the next day <laughs> with an extra hour in bed. Alma says, I love when we change the clocks. It's like uh, the changing of the seasons, passage of summer into uh, winter. And Lucy says, I've no problem at all f- falling asleep, but since I've hit my 40s, I'm waking at about 4am and I can't get back to sleep help. Any tips, please? So um, this would be quite common. So we're actually running a national survey on cssleep.com and we're asking people about their sleep and this is a really also we've had customers for the last three years so it's a really common thing and what it is is just your sleep-wake cycle. So you go through about four or five sleep cycles every night and you're just waking up so there's either there's a lot of like biological processes that are happening in your body and the most important thing I would suggest is find something super relaxing for you to do and it's one of the reasons our weighted sleep products are so popular is because you have to start you can't think yourself to sleep Uh, you have to really try and get out of your mind and uh, relax so that's the most important thing to do.
Okay, and then for uh, Helen in Balancholic, struggles with broken sleep. I have a small child, two-year-old, so some nights she can wake. However, if I get a full night's sleep, I'm fine the next day. But with a broken sleep, I find the next day really hard. It feels like I've got brain fog and no amount of coffee works. The days I get a full night's sleep, my work is better. But the ones with the broken night's sleep, I can actually find my work is uh, impacted. And that's simply just not enough sleep. Absolutely. And I suppose this shows again how <clears throat> the importance of sleep. Um, naps can be really useful when people are going through, like you have to wake up with children. Um, you have to, your sleep is going to be broken. And so um, naps can be really beneficial to have a 10 or 15 minute nap at some time during the day, not too close to like before three um, and not too long. But that can be a really good thing to um, help you just get a bit a bit more um, relaxed as well. Yeah, somebody actually is asking a question about uh, naps. I love a bit of an afternoon uh, nap, but I often wonder, uh, is a half an hour, is that the ideal or is that too much? Um, so the, I would suggest it's a little too long. And the reason for that is you could be falling into a different stage of sleep. So about 10 or 15 minutes to the max 20 um, is right. People are very different, obviously. Um, so if you find that 30 minutes and you're still able to go to sleep when you want in the evening, and that works for you, then that's great. Um, but if you're finding you're not as t- you're not tired enough in the evening, then I would suggest having sort of between ten and twenty minute naps, and that stops you from going into a really deep sleep. So you can end up feeling super refreshed. Yeah, and Carmel and Mitchell stands as a few others with a similar question, but summed up by Carmel. Any suggestions to fall asleep? I find once I'm asleep, I'm fine, but it's the falling off to sleep can take some time. Yeah, that's a really common thing, um, and it's um, called sleep latency, and it's to understand you should be able to fall asleep um, within 30 minutes of going to bed. So I would really look at the habits that you have around your bedtime. Um, so if you're doing loads of stuff and you're tidying up and or watching lots of TV and then you get into bed, you're probably not giving yourself enough time to to start relaxing. So dim the lights a bit more, have a bit more of a relaxing lead up um, into bed. Um, That would be one of the things. And, you know, obviously I'm a fan of weighted um, products. Um, We have a lot of customers in Cork, so I definitely want to shout out uh, to uh, thank all of our uh, loyal customers there. and your weighted products are different to the, the I was aware of weighted blankets, but yours yeah. is an actual, It I, I was on your website yesterday, it's it's like a big sausage pillow, is, is yeah, probably the exactly. best way I could describe it. Yeah, so it, like um, some people have said it's like one of the first sort of medically recommended um, sleep products, but it doesn't look medical. So it's it's long um, and you hug it and we have a shorter and a longer version and it's re- what it's useful for is for um pain as well. Pain can keep a lot of people awake. So for knee and hip pains, you place it between your knees and it won't go flat during the night. Um, but the, the way a weighted product works is it helps you get out of your mind. So that's really one of the main things that keeps people awake is all the all the tasks, all the things you should have done and the things you need to do. Um, what I so call the busy brain. You're trying busy, to 100%. Yeah. A busy brain. And so what a weighted product does is it helps ground you but you don't have to think about it. Because sort of back to what I was saying earlier, we, we know that when people are tired, like it's the hardest thing to do is to um, have more structure or to, you just want something that works and helps you relax. Okay, and your website is? It's siest, S-I-E-S-T, sleep.com.
Where where does that word come from? Siest is it from? Uh, so it's really similar to siesta. Ah, so I, just I love the nap questions. Like I personally a huge fan of naps. There's more research talking about naps um, as well. And like I think the key is if you find your nap is working for you and you're still tired in the evening, then it's something you should continue. Yeah, and I suppose every, everyone is different, isn't it? I mean, yeah. that's that's that, that's the, the 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 huge thing. Someone else is saying, dreading the clocks going back at the weekend. I've got three little ones under the age of five. They're early risers as it is. For example, the whole household up at six a.m. this morning. This time next week, that'll be five a.m. Yeah, um, so do you know Baba's Sleep is a super um, Irish business actually, and they specifically help people with small children and the, what. Today is actually a great day to talk about this because if you can change all of their routines by 15 minutes, so their naps later, their meal times later and their bedtimes later, it won't by be as 15 bad. minutes, it really won't be as bad. Ah, good um, tip, good tip. Sheena, we leave it there. Listen, I really enjoyed our chat. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Good morning to you. That is uh, Sheena Dunn of Sisk.ie. Uh, this week in our Hours to Protect series, we're going to be bringing you some spooky ideas to prevent food waste this Halloween. And we'll be speaking with Cork chef uh, Jack O'Keefe. And that's at 11.45 on this Friday morning with our Hours uh, to Protect. And anything we can do, particularly when it comes to food waste. And I suppose the big one at Halloween with uh, food waste has got to be children love to scrape out the pumpkins and, you know, you'll see lots of all of the supermarkets are full of uh, pumpkins at the moment. Some of them are absolutely ginormous and it's such a waste if people just scrape out the inside so that you can make the jack-o'-lantern out of the pumpkin, which is what people like to do. But we should be using the fruit. It's, is, it a, is it a fruit? The food? The, that comes out of the pumpkin, we should be using that to make pumpkin soup or if you're American, I've never had pumpkin pie but I know it's a huge thing in America but certainly I'm a big fan of uh, pumpkin soup so try not to waste that. Anyway, we'll have more and we'll hear more on how to cut down on food waste uh, over Halloween on our hours to protect this uh, Friday. Joe has been on to say he found a small black purse in the park in Mallow this morning. It was around half past nine and we have all of Jack's details. Were you out and about this morning? Did you lose a small black purse? If so, we've got a very honest man called Joe who wants to get get it back to you. So give John Paul a call 0818 103 103. We've been talking about the fog this morning. It is still quite dense and seems to be slow to lift in some areas. Earlier this morning, I know certainly tuned in to to Ken on The Breakfast Show, there was a, a number of um, accidents happening because of the fog and we've just had a report in before 11 of another collision on the Cork to Mallow Road where the fog is quite dense. This is a two-car collision that happened on the slip road off the N20. It's between the Drumahan Junction and the Annabella Roundabout and it's on the side heading towards uh, Mallow so um, please be careful out and about this morning. We spoke about insurance and this protocol now that's been set up between the insurance companies and Garda Siakona and businesses have all signed up to it where they're now going to contact insurance companies and members of the public can contact the Garda if you suspect 
that somebody has a fraudulent insurance claim and the whole idea is to try to bring down the number of bogus claims and by bringing down the number of bogus claims insurance companies will pay out less and the knock-on effect is we in our premiums be it our car insurance our house insurance we'll all pay less so it'll be a win-win for all. Helen said insurance companies don't challenge claims. Why? It's because of the legal costs and they know that if they go to court it's going to cost them a fortune so it's easier just to uh, settle. Yeah, and I think some people who get involved with bogus claims know that, Helen, particularly those very unlucky people who can have five, six and seven claims over a period of time. They know that insurance companies will settle and this protocol is a push to get insurance companies to say, hold on a tick, talk with the business owner, for example, Uh, find out if there's dash cam footage, if it's a car accident and uh, try and find out exactly what was going on and is it a bogus claim. So hopefully some good uh, will come of it. And then Kevin was on to us to say a number of years ago he was unfortunate to be in an accident. He was on his motorbike and he ended up crashing into cows. These cows were loose on the road late at night. Bike, a complete write-off. But Kevin walked away, thankfully with not a scratch on him. Now he did go to a solicitor to claim damages for his bike. He just wanted his bike repaired placed. He said the solicitor kept ringing him to say, have you any aches or pains? Anything wrong with you? Are you sure you're not unwell? Are you sure you don't need to take time off work? And Kevin said, refused point blank because he said there literally was nothing wrong with me. I just wanted my bike replaced. Anyway, the insurance company still gave me €5,000 for damages. There was absolutely nothing wrong with me, says Kevin. And Kevin was adamant that he didn't want to push for any personal damages done to him. You're a very honest man, uh, Kevin. Uh, fair dues to you. 0818103103. Lillian in Crosshaven was on um, complaining to us this morning because she'd no water and she wanted to know what was going on. We contacted Ishka Aaron and they tell us repairs to a burst water main and it is affecting uh, supplies uh, disruptions to uh, Crosshaven uh, Camden and surrounding uh, areas from they started working on it at 11 o'clock and they reckon by 3 it should be all sorted so if you're in those areas uh, Crosshaven, uh, Camden and surrounding areas you could have an issue with your water but they are sorting out it is repairs to a water supply 0818 103 103 Now as I mentioned earlier the Cabinet yesterday has uh, finally approved the well not finally they've been quick enough to get this underway they've approved the funding for two schemes there's one for businesses and one for householders and these were the ones who were most affected by the flooding last week and of course the majority of the ones affected by flooding uh, are with us here in Cork in particular in the East Cork area and the town of Middleton. Officials say that the existing humanitarian scheme which does provide relief for businesses uh, who are affected by the the flood that remains in place. That's the one where you can get a quick payment of €5,000 then you get assessed and audited for your damages and your loss and that payment can go up to 20,000. But of course, we heard from businesses in Middleton last week, 20,000 was going to go nowhere near the amount of damages that many, many businesses lost. So that's where the government got together and they have set up another, what they're calling exceptional scheme. That's the one that got approved yesterday for businesses that were hit with greater levels of damages. Now, under the second scheme, uh, businesses can get a quick payment of 10,000 euros. Euro. 
Then they go away, get the audited and the assessed payments and that now can be up to €100,000 under the second scheme. And both schemes are going to be administered through the Red Cross. The initial one was always done by the Red Cross and the second one will be done by the Red Cross as well. They're not a replacement for insurance, nor do they compensate for loss of earnings. They are purely humanitarian relief. And obviously a business can only apply for one or the other. So if the losses were less than 20,000, they'll go with the standard one that's there. But for the businesses that are more affected, they'll go with the new uh, enhanced one. But it's interesting, it doesn't compensate for loss of earnings, which is a bit unfortunate to, for businesses that may be closed for quite a few weeks while they're trying to get things uh, together. It is purely humanitarian relief. The Red Cross, seemingly the application form, as soon as the Cabinet signed off on it, went up online on uh, the redcross.ie if you want to check. And they've started taking the applications. And Red Cross officials are suggesting that the payments could be made literally within a matter of days. Again, that's something that the business owners have been saying. We need the money. We know the money's coming, but we need the money uh, now. There's also a scheme for low-cost loans that's likely to be brought forward. And then the Minister for Social Protection, Heather Humphreys. She also announced further funding for another humanitarian scheme, this time for the householders. Because I know going through the papers, I think it was in the examiner, there's a group of householders in Middleton who feel they've been forgotten and feel a lot of the emphasis is going on businesses. But let's not forget, there was many, many households that were absolutely devastated uh, last week. And these are householders. God knows we spoke with one yesterday, Kate, about her parents' uh, house. And these are houses that have flooded in the past before, you know, and they're facing it all again. So uh, what did Heather Humphreys announced? Uh, the An existing 10 million fund will see a further 3 million now become uh, available because that 10 million that was announced is simply not going to be enough by the amount of people that were affected by the flooding. Now the scheme is means tested and this has always been a bone of contention uh, for people whose houses are flooded that if they have any kind of a modest uh, income and they've no insurance on their house they go for the means testing they're above because of their modest uh, income. They're above the means tested so they're not able to claim anything. So something's been done about that and I'm glad to see that something has been done about that. Heather Humphreys has increased the income limit. The old limit was 30,000. That's gone to 50,000 for a single person. A married couple then has gone from 50,000 to 90,000 for a couple. And if there's any dependent children in the household, uh, the level there has gone from 10,000 to 15,000. So hopefully those new means tested limits will mean more people will be able to uh, claim. And uh, the Department of Social Protection said where a family has a household income over that income limit, they're even doing a reduced or a tapered level of support may be provided. So, Because normally what happens with means testing, if you're five or ten euro over, that's it, there's a cut off. But they're saying no, they will look at every case. Families and householders hit by the flooding can apply for assistance in three different stages. Firstly, which is what they need now and some have already got it, emergency support payments. That's obviously to cover things like food, clothing and personal items. That's in the immediate immediate aftermath of the uh, event. That's the first tranche. Um, Then there's 
a second payment which is for white goods for furniture and other essential house, household items and then there is a final financial support and that's obviously to uh, renovate a property for f- after the flood water has received. Now seemingly payments have already started uh, over 200 payments have already been made uh, amounting to almost 150,000 euro that's already been pay- paid out uh, and they would have been the immediate ones for those emergency support payments so it's good to see that people are already you know, realizing we need the help, and they're going, uh, they're going to to get it. And I did see in the Irish Times today that the Cork, Cork Eastall Deputy James O'Connor, who spoke with us last week about the situation in Middleton, I thought he's raised a, a really good point. He said that the department should be opening an emergency centre in the locality of East Cork, and he makes the point that Storm Babette caused exceptional damage to homes and businesses in the East Cork area, and he said all of these schemes that the ones that were there and the new ones that were signed off yesterday. He said all of those schemes are really welcome as they will help people with the hefty cost cost of repairs that they face and help them to get their life back to normal. But he said they they there will also be a need for immediate ground support to assist businesses to reopen quickly. So what he's done is he's requested the Department of Enterprise, Trade and Employment to open up, not permanently, just to open up an emergency centre in the area to advise businesses locally. He said an emergency centre is also needed for households so they know how best they can access support. So rather than going to, I'm assuming most of those departments are probably uh, Dublin based and if you're getting through to the Red Cross, I'm assuming you're getting through to the Red Cross office in Dublin but wouldn't it be great if they brought you know, an emer- a team down and set up an emergency office. It wouldn't have to be there for very long, but certainly there until businesses so that everything, so they can make sure everything is done and I's are dotted and T's are crossed because I saw uh, the head of the Red Cross on the, I think she was on the RT News uh, yesterday and she was talking about the funds and actually she was the one that said that the application forms had gone up online and, you know, when she was asked about how quickly would she get to get the money out, she said, you know, they have been really good in the past about getting the funds to people as quickly as possible and she said some of the delays are the business owners themselves or the householders themselves if they need to get necessary documentation uh, together. So anything that can be done to speed speed that up and I think uh, Deputy James O'Connor is right, have some kind of an emergency centre, an emergency office in the locality to help with those businesses and householders. 0818 103 103 lines open. C103 Jobs. Um, a faith development officer is wanted to work with Scala Youth Ministry. They're based in Black Rock in Cork. Now, Scala works with children from confirmation age to sixth year students in school. Applicants Application forms are available at uh, dbarragry at cssr.ie and you're better off going to the website to check the actual address the actual email address there uh, the closing date is Friday the 3rd of November the Donkey Sanctuary in Lascarra they've got vacancies for a part-time veterinary nurse and an executive assistant full details available on their website www.thedonkeysanctuary.org.uk Caretaker wanted to work one day per week it's at Bali Pass National School the position is subject to guard the vetting phone 022-27937 and an apprentice window fitter and assistance are required for the Cork area now own transport is necessary CVs please to William at Energy Glazing or you can phone 086 
3271718. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Cork uh, couple are on a mission to change the children's fashion industry to help everyone from babies with reflux to children with sensory issues. April Mullen from Cove, along with her husband Rob, are founders of a company called Keeks. And April joins me to explain uh, more. Good morning to you, April. Hi, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well and you're very welcome. Now, your company, I suppose, was very born, uh, was born out of necessity. It was following the birth of your son, Kean. So I suppose, go back to the beginning. Can you tell me a little bit about Kean's condition and the, the clothing and footwear problems that you were facing? Yeah, so um, Kean was born in 2014 and everything was fine. There was no issues until I noticed just a kind of a, a regression in what he could do around the five month mark. So he went to hospital and he got MRIs and he got blood tests, um, etc. And it came back that he had um, a condition known as Fox G1. Um, and at the time, he was the only one in Ireland. And it's still a very rare condition. I think there's only about 800 worldwide at the moment. Well. So for Keen, that means he's nonverbal, he's non-mobile, he's tube fed. Um, so basically 24-7 care, he needs everything done for him, um, etc. And I suppose along the way, we it was new to us. We were first-time parents, so all of this was very new to us. But along the way, we obviously met some challenges. Number one, I suppose he has orthotics. Um, so they're just to help him with um, strengthening his legs, standing and making sure his legs are straight, etc. So that was a big thing for us to try and find shoes to fit the orthotics. And I don't know how many times I went to Cork City with his orthotics in my hand and you're going into a shop and you're buying a shoe that is probably like maybe three sizes too big because you're trying to accommodate the orthotic itself. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the big thing for us. So we started our company in 2020, uh, 2021. And it was just out of a necessity, really, for other parents, because I, I knew we knew we weren't the only parents who were going through this. So I remember I was on Facebook, as most parents are in the evening, and this thing, this post popped up. And I remember running into Rob and going, oh, my God, look at these shoes. Look, at, oh, my God, look, these would be amazing. They zip fully open. You can get the shoe or the orthotic in perfect. No more trying to wiggle your way and nearly breaking your own hand trying to get the orthotic into the shoe so that was in I think it was in 2018 and um, we bought them loved them but the problem was we had to buy them from America so there's a lot there was a long waiting period you had customs if we got the shoe and it wasn't the correct size returns was was expensive and it was just time consuming yeah and so I don't know we were just sitting down one Friday night and it's more my husband's idea, really, I suppose. Rob can't sit still. He likes to keep, he likes to keep the mind going, keep going. So we were sitting down one night and he just said, heck it, will we, will we just start our own business? And it kind of snowballed from there. Then Rob reached out to Billy Footwear and the majority of people worldwide who sell Billy Footwear, they have the same story as us. They have started their business out of a need for the, that they experienced with their child. So a lot of people have kids with additional needs, um, so, I mean, it's a personal thing. And I suppose most parents who are ringing us, we know what they need and we know what they want and we're able to help them in that regard because we're coming from a place of knowledge, I suppose, in, in that regard, because we have a kid with special needs and we're able to kind of guide them in what size shoe they want. 
like we brought in bibs, mum to mum bibs, which are just the most amazing product ever. Explain, just, yeah, explain, explain what they are. So they are, I suppose they, they're a New Zealand award winning uh, bib brand called mum to mum. So they were developed by mothers um, of children with, say, reflux. Um, eczema, etc., all those sorts of things. So they do have a special needs line, but their um, their main base is baby and toddler. But for me, the special needs range just screamed out to me because prior to using these bibs, Keem would have to wear, say, three bibs at any one time because he would have reflux and he would tend to drool. So there was a lot of bib changing, a lot of clothes changing because it's still soaked through. So these bibs are made from 100% cotton toweling. They have a water-resistant nylon backing they're like, in my eyes, they're bulletproof. I just I just love them. So like Kia now only has to wear one bib, which is just absolutely Brilliant. amazing. Um, they're machine washable. They're tumble dryer safe. They keep their color and they're long lasting. And that's what you want as a mother. You know, I didn't want to be washing hundreds and hundreds of bibs a day and having them all on the clothesline. So literally into the washing machine, into the dryer and they come out and they're 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 amazing and they're lovely and soft as well, which is great against skin. Now we do stock them in baby and toddler as well. It's not just additional needs because we loved them so much. We decided to um, branch out into the baby and toddler range, but um, so they are they're amazing. Uh, we also the, have the, the, no this, tie shoelaces. Yeah. So for any, I suppose for maybe kids with um, mobility issues. Um, and, you know, if kids have autism and they're finding that hard, it would be something that you could do. I mean, my own father. Um, I have them on his shoe because he has arthritis in his hands. Mm. So I was able to put them on his shoe. So it's, you know, they're easy to slip on and off. Now he's, they're, they're, they're amazing. I just think they're brilliant. So we have them. We also have seamless socks. Now the, socks see, the, the seamless, yeah, the seamless socks. People are going, oh, we don't about seamless socks. This is really important for children with sensory issues. It is. My middle child would have issues with sensory issues in relation to clothing from time to time. And socks was a major one for us. And we came across Polly and Andy. Um, it's an Irish um, an Irish owned company and she specializes in doing uh, seamless bamboo socks. And they are the softest socks with no seams. My, my middle boy, Luke, he just they're the only socks he will wear. Um, so they were she has those and she also has them in knee high. So I would use them then for key and for under his orthotics because they're breathable and they're soft and they're they're just they're brilliant. They're absolutely amazing. So she is an Irish owner, but we stock her as well. And we also stock um, another company from the States called Smart Knit Socks. So they would be, say, they come they're a tube sock, so there wouldn't be a heel on it, and they're seamless also, so it will mould to the shape of um, a child's butt. So any child who say, like many, we're, you know, we're all made in different shapes and sizes, and some kids have different shapes um, feet, or they've gotten an operation, etc., and they need something that doesn't have a heel on it. This is a tube sock, and it will just mould to the shape of, okay. of a child's and, foot. And I love, I love the idea that you've, and it's obviously you've set up a website, and people can, and then you you get it out in the post, and 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 I'm assuming yeah. you you offer the returns. Is it's easier if you know somebody gets a shoe and it doesn't fit, they can get it back to you. You can get the next size out to them. But but what you're doing yeah. because listen, Listening to you, you know, April, uh, talk about the endless trips to the city, you know, with the orthotic in your hand. Mm. I, you know, parents with children with special needs, you've got enough to be doing without the nightmare yeah. of going, you know, five, six, seven times uh, without any success into shoe shops, looking, the, particularly with the shoes, looking, looking for shoes. And the one thing that I really loved when I went onto your website yesterday 
they are gorgeous, fashionable, smart-looking shoes, which is what the, the children, whether yeah. they're special needs or not, they want to be one of the cool dudes down with everybody else, don't they? Well, that's it. You want something stylish. You don't want something that sticks out like a sore thumb. Um, you know, so these shoes, they're absolutely beautiful. I mean, they're trendy, like you said. And most importantly, they're easy to get on and off for parents. I mean, that is this main selling thing, how easy they are to just zip fully open, slip in the foot or slip in the orthotic. I mean, they're a universal shoe. They're not just for special needs. Anybody can wear them. But for us, they just that's what they work for. They, I mean, our three-year-old has worn them and he can zip them on and off and he loves doing that himself. But for us, it was the special needs aspect of things or the additional needs part of it. But I mean, like you said, they're they're trendy. Anybody could wear them, like, you know, which is what you want. I know a lot of kids with special needs, say, who are verbal and they're, they're aware of things. They obviously want something that has a Nike, you know, yeah. they want the logo ones, they whereas want, these they want are to, still very trendy. Yeah, they want they want to be the same as uh, as all of their yeah. uh, playmates. And and the name of your company is Keeks, K-E-E-K-S. Is that a pet yeah. name? One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yeah, so, yeah, when we were setting up the company, we both said it has to involve something to do with Kian because he's our inspiration for setting it up. So his name is Kian, but in the family, he's affectionately known as Keeks. <laughs> it's just and a little nickname we have for him. My family, we tend to have little nicknames for each other. So it's just everyone kind of, most people will call him Keeks. His physio calls him Keeks now. In the school, they call him, you know, it's just why he's widely known as that now, you know. So it was just, it was a special one for us to make sure we had that included in the name of the business, you know. And any, the, any of the photographs I've seen of uh, Keeks, he is the most gorgeous, happy, smiley uh, child. He Like he looks like a very content little boy. He's a ray of sunshine. He really is. He, is. he just, you know, he just exudes that. He's always smiling. He, you know, he gives everything 100%. Even with all his challenges, you know, he will try his best and that's all you could you could ask for, you know, and he is he's the light of our life. He's an absolute pleasure to be a parent. So, you uh, know, he's he, just he's just brilliant. Is he in school locally or 
he goes to St. Paul's in Montanati oh, and Cork, fantastic. which is an, just an amazing school. school. They're, they're absolutely school. fabulous with them. So he absolutely, he loves it. He absolutely adores going up and down on the bus and meeting all his friends in school. He absolutely loves it, which is brilliant for him. Because oh. as I suppose, when he was diagnosed, it's not something I, you know, I would have thought, oh my God, he's never going to be able to go to school or, you know, you have all those worries, but he's just like every other child heading off to school and he absolutely loves it. Brilliant, brilliant. And he's got his Billy's footwear uh, on. He's a great, he sure he's, is. He's a great <laughs> advert uh, uh, as well, because, you know, look, yeah. raising a child with special needs is tough. So what you're what you're managing to do to help out other families has to be uh, commended. Well done. And are you constantly looking around the world to find like the latest adaptive products? Is, is that the whole aim of your website? Yeah. yeah, it is, I suppose. I mean, we just, you know, we found a couple of products ourselves. So we started, that was the first kind of, that's what started the ball rolling, I suppose. Billy Footwear and the mum to mum bibs were the main thing for us. And then I suppose I was always looking for, say, like his wheelchair. I was looking for a waterproof cover that would go on both his wheelchair and his buggy, keep him warm. And we came across the bundle bean um, wheelchair cozies. And I mean, they're, they're they're fabulous. They fit on his buggy and it fits also on a special needs um wheelchair everything so there that's amazing so that was another thing we found my husband came across the no tie shoelaces it was just something to do with our middle boy was finding it very difficult to to tie his shoelaces so rob went on the hunt and so we brought them then onto the website just yeah we're constantly kind of we're constantly evolving i suppose in the products that we're bringing on a lot of the products were kind of special to us but obviously we knew a lot of us parents would be would be open to purchasing them that like you know Keen's not unique he's unique in his condition but he's not unique in what we need from a yeah. lot of special needs parents need the same kind of products you know yeah. so yeah we're constantly Rob no, my don't. husband is constantly on the on on, on the lookout and he's constantly looking for things yeah well, and and you're up and running as you say two years and you're getting good mm-hmm. feedback I'm assuming from your customers yeah, we have a great customer base, you know, and we pride ourselves on our customer service, you know, and anybody like if anybody's listening to the radio and they would like to inquire, then there is no problem. We help with sizing. We send out a, a guidance on how to size and you can send your measurements back to us and we'll have a look at them and we can give you a guide on what we think would fit perfectly for the shoe because it can be difficult sizing. Like I previously said, you could be a size UK three in in a shop, you know, in a normal shop in Cork or wherever you're buying your shoes. But when you come to Billy's, you could actually size down in Billy in the Billy's because you're getting a a bigger shoe in the shop to accommodate the orthotic. Whereas these shoes are, you know, they're made, I suppose, really for for the orthotics and things like that. But Brilliant. yeah, we're we, you know we do have a, a great customer base. We've got a great feedback from everybody. Everyone seems to love our products, which is which is brilliant, you know, because it's it's a lot of hard work on our part, especially when we've you know we've three young children at home, one who needs twenty four seven care. So to get f- good feedback, you know, just makes it all worthwhile. It's really, it's great. Listen, we wish you continue good luck uh, with this at Keeks.ie, and you've a great website as well. So uh, so well done. Listen, April, it was a real pleasure uh, speaking with you. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us thank you and you can find us on Facebook and Instagram too under Keeks Ireland just for anybody who wants to find us on social media okay thanks for that Perfect. Thanks, Patricia. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. She lovely. That is April Mullen uh, from uh, Cove Keeks uh, IE. And just, you know, any bit of stress or strain that you can take from parents who are raising a a child with additional needs has got to be welcome. So we wish them luck uh, with their company. Now, I always love to hear about a fundraiser that at the same time also sounds like it's going to be a great night out. Well, that's what's going to be on offer next Wednesday, uh, the 1st of November. 
November at the Clayton Silver Springs Hotel when Cork author Eleanor O'Kelly Lynch will host a special wellness, style and fashion event. All the proceeds are going to the Cope Foundation and I'm delighted to say Eleanor takes time out to join us. Good morning to you, Eleanor. Good morning, Patricia. You're, thanks for having me. Well, you're very, you're very welcome. You ha- you're calling the night, colour your life, finding joy in the ordinary every day. I'm sold already. So uh, it starts at 7.15. Um, uh, on, on a, are you asking people to arrive at 7.15 for a 7.30 start? What can people, ex- right. what can people expect next Wednesday night? Well, you know, we, we thought long and hard about the how what we'd call the night. And as you say, Patricia, you're sold already, and I'm delighted to hear that. Um, people can expect a night where they're going to be uplifted and engaged and entertained. Um, it'll be mainly, I suppose, a women audience. So we hope that lots of women will come along. They'll come in. They'll get a couple of glasses of Prosecco. They'll be escorted to their seats and they'll be able to sit down and enjoy some fabulous presenters. Um, we have four women in total. Uh, we have Sarah McGarry, who's going to talk about, she's a skin uh, skincare specialist and makeup artist. So she's going to do a demonstration on makeup. She's going to talk to us about her skin. We're going to have Miriam Nash, who has um, Embrace Your Style, um, is, is the name of her uh, coaching business. And she's going to talk to us about style and about fashion and really about how to be authentic in your clothes and in your wardrobe and to enjoy what you wear um, and and to, to be authentic, I suppose, in what you wear and what you bring to the world uh, through your clothes. Um, and we have Kathleen Fanning, who's... Um, a wellness coach. She's originally from America and she has huge experience in leadership um, and women in leadership uh, coaching and specifically um, finding joy um, in the everyday. So and and then we'll have Amy Amy Begley, who's um, a fabulous artist who works with uh, the children and adults in COPE. And she's going to talk to us a little bit about colour in her life. and we have a raffle. Uh, oh, the the fabulous, it's a fabulous lineup of um, uh, spe- speakers, and I love the idea that it is a night very much uh, for the ladies. Because I think Eleanor, and you'll identify with this as as women, and particularly as caregivers, we can be very tough on ourselves. So this is very much a night where we need to remember to care for ourselves. And that is exactly the theme of the night, really, Patricia. It's it's for women because women often do and more often do put their families first, their children first. Um, women tend to multitask and sort of take on an awful lot of the responsibilities in the home and they're in the workplace as well. It can be a very busy life. And I do think we neglect ourselves. And I think that this is exactly what the night is, to remind women to come out and, and sit back and think about your own life and think about how you might bring a little more colour to your own life. Because for me, and I suppose colour your life is about the colour of fashion and the colour of style and the colour of makeup. And that can all give us such cheer and joy. And such a lift. And as I said, go on, yeah. Yeah, the only other thing I was going to say that, but it's also about sort of emotional colour. 
because I, I do think in our lives we can get bogged down with the greyness of the grind, mm. um, you know, the sort of the beigeness of sort of every day being the same and kind of getting caught up in little problems and sort of doubts and what's lacking, etc. And I love that notion that we can actually bring colour into our emotional lives by noticing, by looking around us in, in the ordinary every day and noticing what can give us joy or cheer us up. And uh, that comes from my own experience that through, you know, dark days or hard times that you will get every so often, if you look for it, a glimmer of joy in the most unexpected places. And it's to capture that mm. for a few seconds. And, to, and we all have that. It might be the cup of tea at the end of the day. It might be a smile from your child. Um, it might be a little piece of chocolate. It might be a kind word from a stranger. Like kind words from strangers have often brought tears to my eyes of gratitude mm. that somebody took the time out to say or do something. So if we look around us. Um, there's joy to be found. There's joy. There is. Yeah. And it's about reminding ourselves that we need to find it for ourselves because no one's really going to kind of, you know, give us the hammer on the head and, you know, um, we have to we have to look for it and we have to find it and we will find it. And it's to sort of gravitate towards that well said. And, uh, and in the introduction, I mentioned that all the proceeds are going to the Cope Foundation and the Cope Foundation, obviously, for you and your family, Eleanor, a no brainer. Your daughter has been using the service for some time. That's right. Absolutely. I mean, Lauren started off in um, play school in St. Well, just be, uh, the play school just near St. Paul's. It was called Rainbow Lodge. And I, that was must have been over 25 years ago. It's probably about 27 years ago. And then she went to St. Paul's and on tours and up through the ranks, I suppose. And COPE, you know, they're a great community of people. And the teachers <clears throat> and the assistants and the caregivers that I have met in a quarter of a century in COPE, you know, they, they have brought joy to our lives and they've brought joy to Lauren's life as well. I can remember her being in the Special Olympics when she was 11 mm. and she up in Dublin and the flags waving and the kids coming out. And it was all it was a fantastic occasion. And they, these are the things that COPE do for our children. So absolutely a no brainer. And there's one thing I want to say is that every and I love this notion, Patricia, that every cent that's raised on the tickets, on the raffle, in donations, every cent goes directly to COPE. There are no expenses because the speakers are all doing this from their hearts for free. Uh, the Prosecco that we're serving on the night is free. Barry and Fitzwilliam um, donated it to us. And even the Clayton Silver Springs Hotel have provided the room for us for free. People are really so, good. People we have are all really the raffle, obviously, all the, the, the um, prizes. prizes. And we have yeah. fantastic prizes. And they're all donated free. Well and I love that notion. It's a night where every penny goes to cope. Yeah, so. and it's and and the people who've donated, they're spreading joy. That's what it's all about. Exactly. Now, I, I, exactly. I, I don't That's want exactly. to let the moment pass without speaking to you about your, your book, because the last time we spoke, you it was on the publication of your book, The, the Girl with the Special Needs, which I loved at the time. Uh, how is it doing? 
fabulous. It's doing very well. And Patricia, the good news is that I'm having my second book uh, launched um, end of November, beginning of December. Everything now had to go on hold for the past six weeks while I organised the fundraiser. That had to take precedence. Um, There's never a good time to do anything, is there? There's always busyness. But the girl with stars in her eyes will be launched in about five weeks time. Um, so hopefully, Patricia, I might be back. You will indeed, because it, well, it's a bit, book. it's a bit, it, it's a bit. You're not in the studio because I have written down here on the script in front of me. My final question was, how is book yes. number two doing? <laughs> so instead of saying that, it's when is book number two coming out? So it'll be out at the end. Yeah. Uh, so is it is it back from the printers? Are you at that stage of holding it so, in your hands yet? So not oh god, not yet. No, oh, I only wish. <laughs> It's back from the editor and it's gone to the publisher, Orla Kelly Publishing. And I know Orla is going to sort of fast track through it as quickly as possible. And then it's going to the printer. So you can see, Patricia, there's still a lot of work to be done before the book hits the bookshelves. But it's going to happen um, one way or another. It's going to be out there. OK, well done. Well, we look forward to getting a, a copy of it and have you in studio uh, to talk about it. That'd now, um, uh, very finally, and I do have two pairs of tickets, by the way, to give away uh, to Eleanor's event next Wednesday. Where are tickets on sale? So the tickets are on sale on iDonate, you know, the um, iDonate, uh, yeah. iDonate yeah. link. All they need to do is go on to iDonate and it's Colour Your Life. And that's, uh, we. I mean, we can have people coming to the door at the last minute. That's not an issue. But ideally, if they could book their tickets on iDonate-colourYourLife. Uh, okay. um, and on my social media you know, the links are all over the place um, on uh, Eleanor O'Kay Lynch uh, Instagram and Eleanor O'Kelly Lynch Facebook. Okay, we wish. And, and Patricia, one last thing, really, is all I'm going to say is that on the night, there's going to be a surprise, a <laughs> slice of joy. Um, which will be, which will remain a surprise. Okay. And only I know about it. So, oh. um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's another reason why people might come along. I would urge women to come along on the night. It'll be a great night. It'll be welcoming. It'll be full of joy. There will be something for everybody there, and there will be loads of prizes I'm and sure we pe- have at least every second person going away and with, people will um, will, will go home with their hearts filled with joy which is what it's all about listen Elna we wish you luck it. with it um, and uh, we look forward to seeing you with, with book number two but thanks a million for joining us this morning Thank you so much, Patricia. Good morning to you. Bye bye. That is uh, Eleanor O'Kelly Lynch. And we have two uh, pairs of tickets. So two winners. Uh, please text her WhatsApp if you're free, willing and available uh, to go to the Clayton Silver Springs Hotel next Wednesday, 1st of November uh, with a sev- arrival time for 7.15, please. And I'd love uh, when you win that you'd bring along another female, be it your best friend or maybe your daughter or maybe your mother you'd like to bring along uh, with you. So we're looking for two winners Text or WhatsApp the word colour because the event is called Colour Your Life. So text WhatsApp the word colour to 0862103103. As always, please include your name and address. Our winners for the tickets to the Colour Your Life event that's happening uh, in aid of the Cope Foundation, Clayton Silver Springs Hotel next Wednesday. Really sounds like a fab night out. And our two winners today, each picking up a pair of tickets, Claire O'Regan, 
is in Bishopstown. Congratulations, Claire. And Maura O'Sullivan is in Mallow. Congratulations, uh, Maura and uh, Claire. Enjoy your night out. And talking about enjoyable nights out, my thanks to Maura, who sent me in a lovely WhatsApp in the last uh, hour. Remember last week, Pat Short, the very, very funny comedian, Pat Short, joined me in studio and it was ahead of a gig that he was doing in the Glen Theatre in Bantir. And uh, Maura was lucky enough because it was a complete sellout before he even got into the studio to talk to us. It was a complete sellout. It's their, it's the brand new show from Pat Short and his daughter Faye. So Maura was one of the lucky ones who did manage to secure tickets uh, to the event and she sent in a text to say, Patricia, just to let you know about our night out at the Glen Theatre with Pat and Faye Short. OMG. I'll just say to you I'm very lucky that I don't suffer with any kind of incontinent issues because I definitely would have had an accident R3. <laughs> Maura would have peed her pants with laughter. She said it was the most hilarious show she has ever been to. And Faye Short, well, she says the apple doesn't fall far from uh, the tree. So that's great. And I know Pat was saying it's Faye's first attempt at stand-up. You know, she, she's on stage on her own and I know she was a bit nervous about it. So good to hear that. And they have promised that they'll both uh, join me in studio. It'll be into the new year. It'll be after Christmas because they've got a number of dates, if not one, maybe more dates. They're going to be playing in the Opera House. They're bringing the show to the Opera House. That's a much bigger venue at the moment. They're kind of doing small venues uh, around the country, but they're packing them out wherever they go. And I saw a number of reviews because they've only just started this new show. And I did see a number of uh, reviews on it and everybody saying kind of similar what Maura said. It's just a hoot from start to finish. And God knows we can all do with a bit of laughter in our lives, uh, can we not? So good to hear that, Maura. Thank you for that. And then uh, there was a caller on to us, John was on wondering, did anybody notice strange lights in the sky last night? He said it was at 8.45. He lives in the Cloyne area and he noticed what he could only describe as five planes back to back, but they weren't planes, but they were like five, what looked like planes, kind of all back to back, almost in a line. And he was wondering what was uh, going on. What you were actually looking at was Elon Musk's uh, Starlink satellite. They were aligned in the sky and they were particularly visible last night over the south of uh, Ireland and Elon Musk's Starlink is part of the SpaceX company, which he found back in 2002. The company have launched, they've more than four and a half thousand satellites they've launched over the past five years. And of course, they are giving high speed internet, particularly to areas that can't get good broadband. And uh, we've had people on this programme, uh, particularly down in very remote areas of West Cork, who are still waiting for the national broadband to roll, roll out to their area. Have are now connected to the inter- internet thanks to Elon Musk and his Starlight satellite. So that's what you were looking at in the sky last night. 0818 103 Now, yesterday we mentioned on our news bulletins that students at Munster University Technology were staging a walkout. It was at 11.11 yesterday. It's over a lack of car parking spaces at the Bishopstown campus. The student union say they've been campaigning for years years, but their pleas have simply fallen on deaf ears. So we sent our reporter Stephen Fox to go along to the protest yesterday and he's done up a report for us. He first spoke with Oshin Gahan. Now Oshin is Vice President
President of Education at MTU Students Union. And he also spoke with Eva Corcoran, who is the Vice President of Welfare. MTU, as well as a number of other colleges, are almost creating their own barriers to education. The reason we're protesting today is to make the college aware that students are struggling and it's not okay for them not to make any decisions on certain things. We're calling on the college and on the government to invest in a solution, a park and ride, more bus routes, anything that can be done really to alleviate the queuing, the traffic and just the overall problems that are faced within the Bishopstown area surrounding the campus. And it's it's interesting that, you know, the Students' Union are saying they've been calling and, you know, speaking about this for a good number of years but nothing has been done and of course the situation has got worse certainly this year and it would have been as bad last year because there is a lack of student accommodation which is forcing more and more students now to have to travel long distance from home in order to get to college. I mean only the other day we had a listener talking about their son in the Kinsale area who has a full driver's licence he has his own car uh, and they got his full driver's licence and got him on the road in order that he could commute from Kinsale to the city every day to go to college if my memory serves me right he was in UCC but he's ended up now having to go on the bus with all of the others because he can't get parking at UCC so it isn't just an MTU situation but it seems to be particularly bad at MTU anyway while Stephen was there he also spoke with some of the students who were protesting outside the college I up in the north side but I walk because the buses are so like infrequent and they're always full and I don't drive so just walking is the only option. And how long would it, if you were to get the bus how long would it take you to get one? Oh, it, would, it would take like an hour and a half like a, a few weeks ago sorry I was I was down for the 8 o'clock bus four buses drove past me so I just had to walk to college and I missed the first class. I'm driving in from Glanmire I try to get in before 8 because there's spaces before 8 but then once it hits quarter past 8 the car park's full there's an Instagram page MTU Parking and that's like just pictures of all the cars up on the grass and double parked in disabled spots and things like that I drive and it can be quite chaotic I live up by the airport so about normally driving it would only be like 15 minute drive but I'd have to get up at it extremely early just to be able for a chance to get a parking space because it's it's just chaotic. You don't want to be waking up that early, especially when your class is starting at nine, waking up about two hours before class. I have to leave at around 7am just to come in here and get a space. So I have to be here at around like 20 past eight to get a space. I get the train and I get a bus. So because of the whole situation with accommodation, I have to travel up and down. So I have to get up at half five in the morning because I live far away from here. So I get up at half five and I have to get the first train to Mallow or from Mallow to Cork and then I'll get to Mallow to get to Cork about half seven and I get a bus then. I'll be waiting probably about half an hour for our bus but because of the whole situation with buses in the city I have to leave that hour earlier just to get a bus to college to make it in in time for nine o'clock. I usually cycle every day to college but there are of course days when the weather is not very good for cycling and the buses unfortunately are so unreliable that it's you know difficult to have a consistent mode of transport to get to college and I think that the infrastructure of cycling infrastructure in town is not adequate enough for all weather conditions and the buses as I said before are just unpredictable so I could go to the bus stop wait for the bus it happened to me multiple times where I'd be waiting for the bus and then no bus comes or a bus comes and it says out of service the bus myself and it's just kind of ridiculous waiting for it because half the time you're waiting for the bus it drives right past you because it's already full where are you getting the bus from uh from balancholic in and whether you're getting in at nine o'clock or five o'clock on the way home you're holding you know you're crossing your fingers waiting for it to, to stop or keep going 
Well, isn't that a crazy situation? And we've got the Greens in government telling everybody to use public transport and there you've got young people who have no choice but to use public transport and they're standing with buses going by and, and then late for college and missing out on classes. It, it's a ludicrous, ludicrous uh, situation. Let's see, they protested yesterday. Will anything be done? And thanks to our news reporter Stephen Fox for going along to Munster Technology University uh, yesterday to cover that piece for us. 0818 103 103. It is Wednesday so Peter Dowdell will be joining us later on in this hour. Have you a question for Peter? If so, get it in or you can text or WhatsApp any of your questions to 086 103103. Now, Anne has been on to say, what are the government, what are the government doing to try to sort out the problem we have with housing Ukrainian refugees in this country? Uh, Anne said, the thought of Ukrainian refugees sleeping in tents is simply not uh, right. Well, there's a lot of talk going on about the, uh, in particular, the Ukrainian uh, refugees. And according to newspaper reports today, there's a bit of a row breaking out uh, between the equality Minister Roderick uh, O'Gorman because he's come up with these plans. There's been a lot of talk about this over the last uh, week or two to limit the offer that the of state provided accommodation to Ukrainians that for any of the new Ukrainians arriving, Roderick O'Gorman uh, wants any of the new ones arriving that they'll only be given 90 days uh, accommodation. Um, Minister O'Gorman encountered seemingly strong pushback from the Thornish then Micheál Martin and other Fianna Fáil uh, ministers, there was a briefing in the Cabinet yesterday on these proposals to limit the state offer of accommodation to just three months. And then at the end of the three months, the refugees, if they want to remain in this country, they would then have to go out and source private uh, housing. And of course, the question you ask straight away is, and where are they going to find the private houses uh, to um, rent? Anyway, Micheál Martin seemingly uh, is urging Roderick, or uh, is arguing to Roderick O'Gorman that a more comprehensive proposal would be needed because he suggested that what Roderick O'Gorman is suggesting would simply then, at the end of the three-month period, push the problem over to the housing minister, Dara O'Brien. And Dara O'Brien is already struggling to house Irish people, let alone trying to find housing for Ukrainian refugees when the three months uh, is up. Now, one government source did later state, uh, though, that the Ukrainians don't have entitlements to housing assistant payments or homeless service. So does that mean then at the end of the three months they're very much on their own? If they can't find housing that they can afford, then there will be no place for them to go. And if they're not entitled to homeless services, they can't turn up at the homeless shelter either. I don't know how that's going to solve the problem we have. Now, concerns were also raised at that Cabinet meeting uh, yesterday about the continuity of education for children. Because if you've if you've children placed in a reception centre and if they're there for 90 days and they go into local schools and then if they have to move somewhere else, they have to move from that school and then find a school place uh, someplace else. See me, the Health Minister, Stephen Donnelly, he also is believed to have raised concerns about pre- pressures on the health service and I don't think there's a part of the country where there isn't pressure on the health service even down to trying to get in to see a, a GP they're already flat out busy without having extra people coming in who will need the services of a GP. Now, there is growing concern across all of the coalition parties about accommodation pressures that have been created, particularly by the uptick in the numbers of refugees who have been arriving here since the summer. The weekly arrivals now for Ukrainian refugees is around 800 people every single 
uh, week. Amiho Martin says that it is possible that Ukrainian refugees arriving in Ireland are coming from other EU states and they're coming why? Because supports provided in this country are more generous than they are in other countries. And he's accepting now that that is a problem and is obviously going to put pressure on whatever available accommodation is here at the moment. It's very different, say, to at the start of the war when people were arriving and whatever country they landed in, that's where they stayed. They're now here for a longer period of time and it is looking like some have gone to other European countries that um, I'm assuming communicating maybe with family and friends that are in Ireland and seeing that the welfare system is better so they're deciding to come to uh, Ireland. So, you know, we have to look at the situation. We, we certainly have to look at the current situation because something has to be done. We don't have enough uh, accommodation. There's also the cost uh, factor. I mean, at the moment, the majority of Ukrainians that have been here since the start of the war are being accommodated. They're even in, either in hotels, they're in B&Bs, they're in, in hostels. And we know that the annual cost to the exchequer is £1.5 billion a year. We can't that can't keep going or that number can't keep being uh, increased. We will eventually run out of uh, money. And of course, we know that a few months ago, the EU decided to extend the temporary protection directive given to Ukrainians. And that now has been extended to March of 2025. I think initially it was up to March of 2024. And the idea would be and the hope was that this war wouldn't last long and the refugees would flee while war was going on in their country. And then things would get sorted out and they would be able to go home. But I mean, the EU are saying now they have to extend the protection until 2025, an extra year onto it, which basically is is saying to all of the countries that you now start, need to start looking at long-term solutions for housing Ukrainians. This is no longer just a short-term uh, issue. And Ireland, we are an outlier in terms of the accommodation that we give to the refugees when, when they arrive. But we're also seen as being very generous in our social welfare uh, support, those that are fleeing the, or the, the Russian war. Now, many would say we have to be generous because we have a, it's an expensive country to uh, live in. So publicly, the government will say that the upcoming changes in policies, they're initially saying it is to encourage Ukrainians to integrate into society quickly rather than have them in hotels and B&Bs, get them into housing in local areas and they'll integrate um, better. Uh, But others will say that is this an indication from the government that they are trying to discourage more Ukrainians from coming to Ireland because they're seeing Ireland as being more generous and because of the numbers that we're seeing week on week do seem to be increasing. It could be, no, I don't know whether the government are ever going to admit that the reason they're doing it is is to try to actually discourage more from uh, coming here. Now, uh, a number of uh, EU countries, when you look to other countries like Ireland, our government will say, look, the reason that we're bringing these restrictions in is going to bring us in line with what other EU countries are doing. And when you look to other EU countries, a number of them offer a maximum stay of between 90 and some go up to 180 days. And that's in state funded accommodation. But after the 90 days or after the 180 days are, are up, the refugee then is uh, expected to either to pay or to go and find their own accommodation. But the big problem with going to find their own accommodation in this country is where are they going to go? So I don't know if it is as simple a solution as to say to any of the
the new refugees fleeing will only look after you for 90 days and then you're on your own. Uh, is that going to create an even bigger humanitarian problem here in this country? 0818 103 103. Your thoughts welcomed. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. The Glen Theatre Bantier Drama Festival continues and tonight it is Gunpowder Drama Group presenting Bombshell Blue Hat Group are presenting uh, Riders to the Sea and the Glen Theatre Drama Group themselves are presenting All is Fair at the Science Fair. A workshop for people with spina bifida and our hydrocephalus who wish to prepare for job interviews will be held in the Silver Springs Hotel in Cork tomorrow Thursday between 11am and 4. Support will be given uh, for CVs and cover letter writing and skills for interviews and employment. And to register or to find out more information, you can email whatworksforme at sbhi.ie. There is a more there is a more the merrier monthly gathering. It's going on in Court, Court Vera Hall in Ballinine. It's tomorrow night. Doors will open at half past seven. Refreshments will be served, and absolutely everybody is welcome to uh, attend. You're invited to join David McGrath in Holly Hill Library tomorrow from 12 noon, where he'll be playing a selection of his favourite music from the 1960s. Now, it's a free event, so go along and bring your friends. All are welcome, particularly if you're a fan of 60s music. And marine environmentalist Rory Jackson will give a talk in Skibbereen Library this Friday on coast cleaning and fly tipping cleaning. He works with TI students and volunteer groups in the West Coast area and is about to launch a new podcast for Cork County Council. It's a free talk. You can simply turn up to the library on Friday. Cork Today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. And any of your gardening questions, keep them coming in for Peter. He'll be joining us in a couple of minutes. John Paul's taking calls 0818 103 103. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Now, rural residents in the village of Belgooley say they feel frustrated and vulnerable. This is after a group of burglars targeted the area twice in the space of a few days. Local journalist JJ Hurley uh, joins me with more on this. Um, Good afternoon to you, JJ. Good afternoon, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Now, this is criminals trying to break into cars, is it? Yeah, do you know what? It's it's an ongoing issue, actually. It seems to... It seems to happen every so often. I know and the sense that some time ago there it happened and to be fair to the guardie they, they made a, an arrest later on. I think they, they, they apprehended the individuals if I if uh, I think if I mem- if my memory serves me right in passage afterwards. So but you know what it is, Patricia. I it, like I, I, I don't think people should be, you know, afraid or, you know, especially old people or, or people that are on their own. At times, this is people leaving their cars open on Saturday nights or Saturday nights. And not well, in one case, maybe they are. And so, you know, but it's leaving cars, you know, that aren't secured. Particularly leaving valuable sitting on top of, you know, these these fellas. Like I suppose to put people's fears, these fellas aren't looking for confrontation. They're looking for it's opportunist crime. Mm. And it, and if you're going to get into your car and you're going to leave a laptop or you're going to leave even, do you know how we all have the habit of throwing a few a few pence into the into the, you know, into the... The into cup the, holder. Yeah, 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 exactly. And that's what these guys are looking for. 
You know, yeah, so. because I know we, we, this topic often comes up on a Garda file, not just in Belgoolie. It happens all over uh, the city and county. And the Garda talk about that because they can pick people up on, uh, you know, a lot of people have CCTV footage now at the front of their houses. And you'll see these opportunistic and sometimes planned criminals. And they'll go from car to car to car, just flicking the door to see. And they want the easiest uh, option. And I don't know what it is. I think because if you drive your car into the driveway and for some very silly reason, we seem to think, Asher, it's safe now, the car is at home. It needs to be locked at all times. No, absolutely. And I think what happens is with all of us, you know, we get out of the car and maybe the the kids are after running in the door. It's it's Saturday, you know, or or you've got the laptop, you've got your keys in your hand, you've got the coat, you've got the cup of coffee that's empty. And you go in the door and you just forget to flick the car. Yeah, um, it, yeah. I suppose it's no, I, I, it's my understanding. I think there is some CCTV available in this um, as well. So I suppose that's another thing for homeowners to think about is to put CCTV into their homes. I know. Look, people, people, and it's fair, a fair, a fair point. I suppose people have issues about you know, um, you know, people videoing them and what have you. But I think we have to balance that in in our in our safety. This has just happened so many times, I suppose, in Belgoole. You know, people are, are just getting a bit fed up. But now, I suppose Saturday night was kind of a little bit more unusual than when there were two cars taken. So, you know, it's just to be aware. I know in another media outlet, they said there was a match in Belgoole on Saturday, but that was over at half as four. And I don't think a lot of people were out actually on Saturday night. And um, so I don't think... No, that that, 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 that. And were the cars, have the, the, the cars that were stolen, have they been found? That I don't know. That I don't know. No, I know okay. that on, on on Monday, sorry, on Tuesday morning, then about three o'clock, a local man who has who has used the vehicle for his own business, he was disturbed by two fellas trying to break into the van. And oh, um, I, th- I think I think no, he I, I think they're described as two males, um, you know, wearing hoodies. Um, suggestion is allegedly that they were in their late teens. So whether that's true or not is another thing. No, I, I'm getting a report as well. That there was a, there was an incident in Kinsale during the week of why whether a car was broken into or stolen. There's also a suggestion of that. Look, Trisha, I suppose the main thing here, and, and you know, we have to be very careful in the media. We don't we don't want you know people that are vulnerable or living alone to be to be you know to be worried or anything like that. But there is, I, and I suppose the guards have always said, and I, I know my my I, I contributed I was local local to the Southern Star in my own notes there. And I have an article this week, and I've, I've included the number for the Kinsale Guardian. And I just give it there today. It's o it's o two one four seven seven two three zero two. And I think what the guards will always say: Look, just pick up the phone. You're not right. annoying us. Yeah, yeah. You know, just just if you if you see something, you know, if you're if you're in a Saturday night and you hear your dog barking and he's continuously barking, you know what? Even if somebody just gets up and puts on a light downstairs. These fellas are going to go because they're going to say, right, somebody's on to us or, you know, they're going to disappear. They want Please. the easy options, yeah. They yeah, want the yeah. easy options. And, okay, and, and the main thing is, lock your car. For God's I sake, lock, your, lock car. your car. Back doors, lock front doors, car. all that. All right. All right, Jade. Just, just one thing, just one thing, because on a positive note, and I, I said, okay. spoke to John Paul, can I, we, we recently got a load of works done there in Belgooli footpaths and bus stops. Great. And I just want to thank, I, I suppose, can I just thank, first of all, the, the, the six, the, the, the local, sorry, the local and national uh, elected reps for their work on, on, on securing that. But you know, a lot of people ring up giving out about the council. But I have to say, in this in this case, can I just thank um, Richard Cahill and Eamon McCarthy? I know in our in our there was a few people in our place, and they're rightly, you know, they were a bit, you know, they weren't sure about how it was going to affect the village, and they were right. But they, it turned out perfectly. 
So can I just because we're always beating up the council. Yeah. So can I just thank Richard Cahill and Eamon McCarthy for their work recently? Are they are they outdoor staff? No, they're not. They're two engineers. Oh, are they? Okay, all right. Well, I know we were we were definitely complimenting the outdoor staff as well because uh, they went above and beyond last week. Oh, absolutely. Listen, oh, thanks, absolutely. JJ. Listen, thanks look after yourself. And uh, thanks uh, for joining us. That is uh, JJ Hurley, who is a uh, local journalist uh, in the uh, Belguli area. Somebody said those fellas caught robbing cars. They couldn't care less about judges are the uh, Gardaí. Keep your cars locked uh, please. And just on a couple of comments in on asylum seekers and the Ukrainian refugees in particular and the problem the row that seems to be going on in government as to what the government will do going forward. And Mary says, Patricia, please don't forget the asylum seekers who were also living in tented villages in Mullingar. They highlighted their plight last week on the news. Tents are leaking, wetting their beds and their clothing. All these refugees from various countries should be treated equally. They should be treated the same as the Ukrainians fleeing war. Somebody said there are Ukrainian men living near me. Some of them have been in Ireland 20 months now and still don't have a word of uh, English. Well, have you tried to engage with them and help them to learn uh, English, I wonder? And hi, uh, Patricia, Irish citizens have a problem seeing Irish GPs in this uh, country. So agreeing with um, Stephen Donnelly, who raised the issue yesterday, concerns over pressure on the health system. Um, The Ukrainians seem to get in to see the doctor ahead of us. The Irish says this, uh, uh, texter, we feel like we're being treated as second class uh, citizens without much less moral obligation towards welfare of the electorate. Whatever is going on, it isn't right. All should be given equal rights. I'm not racist. Uh, most people just want fair play. 0818103103. Hi Patricia, glad to hear you talk about the COPE Foundation this morning on the programme with uh, Eleanor O'Kelly Lynch. COPE are wonderful. I'd be dead without them. My daughter is no angel, but all the staff at COPE and Glasheen are so kind and so caring. Thank you for that uh, text. Hi Patricia, would you please congratulate the committee of Gertalassa Old School House on the Sheep's Head. They won a highly commended award for social inclusion at last night's Winton Atira Pride in Your Community Awards. Their first time entering and with a tiny little community, they have such a wonderful committee there. They do everything for the love of community and this old building. So take a bow, everybody involved in the Goethe Lass, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, old schoolhouse out on the Sheep's Head and well done for picking up that award last night, particularly when it was their first time uh, entering. That is a great achievement. And Eddie in in Bandon is feels sorry what he's hearing about the Peter McVerry Trust. You know, they're in a bit of financial pickle at the moment. Uh, And Eddie says, why the Peter McVerry Trust, uh, while they're having issues, financial issues at the moment, uh, Eddie found it particularly sad that revenue are the first jumping down on top of them. After all, that the Peter McVerry Trust is have been doing and are doing, they're doing the job of the government in that they're housing people. I always felt the government should have brought Peter Mc, for the Peter McVerry on board to sort out the problem of housing in this country and for him and others to sit down with government to tell them what could be done. Yeah, I've spoken with Father Peter, fantastic a guy. Him along with uh, Katrina Toomey. 
uh, would be somebody else that I'd be I'd be putting uh, running and sorting out uh, housing and what can be done and there's others like them that run various other housing uh, charities so Eddie in Bandon having huge sympathies for the Peter McVeary Trust uh, at the moment You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast Phone and text lines are currently closed Peter Dowd of theirishgardener.com joining us on this Wednesday afternoon Good afternoon to you Peter Good afternoon, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well and you're welcome. Now, let's get straight into questions. This email coming to us from Sarah in Southampton, uh, listening to us online or on her smart speaker. And she sent on photographs. She said, hi, Uh, please, can you take a look at the photograph of my magnolia tree that I pruned last week? I removed a lot of the lower branches and it has now gone so large in my small garden, it's actually blocking out the daylight. I think I may have been too severe and all the growth only appears on the topmost branches now, is it beyond saving? Thanking you, Sarah from Southampton. And she sent on the pictures and we sent it on to you. Has she ruined her magnolia? She did, and I'm looking at it as we speak. Um, she, like, It's not beyond saving. It's not dead. It, it is, as she says. So it was obviously quite a big, bushy magnolia down low and she removed... Um, what the all the lower growth of it, if you like, which was all coming from one one big branch. So she's left now with the with the branch that's going upwards, and it's a bit bit spindly. And yes, all the growth is up there, which is to be expected because obviously the the growth coming up through the root system is now going to emerge through where it can, if you know what I mean. So it, it's it's not beyond saving, but the sh- she has done a lot to the shape of it. So um, the 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 bit of the stem that's left the lower one that she cut back the bit of that that's left that will start greening up again next season next spring so it's not it's not gone by any manner of means but she's just going to have to put pay a bit of attention over the next 12 months and, and longer into the overall appearance of it and the overall shape of it so what she's going to have to be doing now what Sarah'll have to do now is 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 prune it for the aesthetics if you like just to get the shape right the plant is alive the plant is fine um, but it's just it looks a bit bit a bit lopsy paws we'd say over here it needs a, it needs a bit of a bit of trimming for shape but also it's got competition I think from laurel from what I can make out on one side of it and it's got a lot of evergreen stuff kind of beside it which I would also look at cutting them back and removing a lot of them to allow the magnolia the space to develop nicely but no it should be okay but just pay attention to the overall shape of it Okay uh, uh, Brenda sorry St John's Worth is this the right time to take slips she wants to replant it's it's the, the the correct answer to that is it's kind of too late. We're going into November. However, two things. Number one, uh, because okay, it's cold now today, and it is the temperatures are dropping. But up to now, it's been on very unseasonably mild. Uh, in which case, they probably would root away no problem at the moment. And the other thing is, it's St John's Wort. It's Hypericum, so that will root very easily. Really, whenever you do it. So my answer would be absolutely give it a go. It is technically the wrong time of the year, but give it a go. I'd say I'd say you'll probably get a, a, some degree of success, if not 100% success. Nick is in Black Rock and he has an azalea in a pot. It's there for about four years. He has two pots. One is perfect. Uh, the other has 10 branches coming out of the pot and four of them are dead. And another two or three are not looking too great. What can he do? And what is he doing wrong if he's two azaleas in the exact same pots growing in the same conditions? Why is one doing better than the other? That's he's not doing anything wrong. That's nature for you. Uh, these things happen. It's it's some kind of a pathogen. Obviously, got into to one but didn't get into the other. Um, 
it's like looking at two human beings one you know in the same house one has a common cold the other one doesn't it just oh. it just happens you know so i i wouldn't worry about having having done anything wrong the, i i can't see a picture of the azalea obviously but i'm i'm familiar with the way he's describing it that there's a lot of dieback on it some of the branches are gone I'd nearly bite the bullet and just replace it, to be honest with you, because you're going to put so much work into trying to, 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 you know, nurse it back to health and it's never going to come back fully and you're never going to get that lovely green full look that you probably have in the other azalea. So I'd nearly, I'm afraid, just, I, I hate to say it, but consign it to the compost bin and put in a fresh one. Okay, and where are we going here? This is on begonias. Uh, hi, could you ask Peter? Um, begonias that were are growing in pots, can they be left to dry out and overwinter in a polytunnel? What's the best thing to do? Absolutely, yes. And I, I assume that we're talking about the, the tuberous begonias, which are the, the, the uh, obviously, as the name suggests, Trish, grown from a tuber. And they're the ones with the very big double flowers, very big, showy, dramatic flowers. And yes, the answer to that is yes. Let the let the foliage and that die back, and the flowers die back when the temperatures drop. They, they'll all kind of turn to mush, uh, and then you can leave them in the pots and and keep them dry. Let them dry out in the polytunnel, and then next spring start watering them again, and they'll come back to growth. Alternatively, take them out of the pot uh, and and store them somewhere cool and dry over the winter months. Uh, assuming it's the tuberous ones. The other ones are the fibrous rooted begonias, which are more of a bedding plant, so it wouldn't work for them. But the tuberous ones, absolutely yes. Okay, Laura has a waterlogged garden down in uh, East Cork, got absolutely soaked last week. They'd only set the lawn in September. Will it rally? Doubtful. Oh, sorry. If if it was set in September, we're in the end of October. It depends. It depends. It, 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 it depends full stop, really, Trish, because... It depends on one and how much of it had germinated. So if, if, if let's say if you had set it last week, the week before the floods, then no, none of it's going to germinate. The seed will have drowned. Um, however, if it was, if it had germinated, if it was depending when in September it was, the, the further, the longer ago that it was set, the better, if you like, because grass itself, once it's growing, is very, very forgiving. It will tolerate a, a short period of being flooded. It'll tolerate a short period of drought. It'll tolerate all these things uh, and come back. But if it wasn't fully germinated, any seed that hadn't germinated, no, the, the flood would have killed the seed. But uh, so it's, I'm afraid it's just a question of wait and see. If, if, it's, if it was already green, uh, then I would say it'll be OK. Obviously, the flood would have done damage in, in terms of the, the soil and the root structure and all the rest of it. But if it was already growing and green, you'd probably be OK. If it wasn't, then no, I'm afraid it's time to do it again, probably in the spring. Okay, Barbara needs to move a rose. She describes it as being has gone very tall and leggy. It's in the ground about ten years, but she realizes it's growing in the wrong place. It's gone tall and leggy because it's trying to reach up through other trees in order to get sunlight. How much of it does she cut back, and when does she move it? Well, the good news is that roses will transplant very successfully, really, even very established ones. They they grow on a big, long taproot system. So um, just go as deep as you can, get as much of the root system as possible out and cut it back. Cut it back. Don't don't worry about cutting it back too hard. You won't, if you know what I mean. So it's hard to say exactly where to cut it back to without seeing it. But I would you could go to like within a foot of the ground with it. Um, uh, would probably be the best thing to do. Don't do it yet. Again, the temperatures are just too warm. Normally, we would do this kind of work from the middle of October on, but I'd say we're going to be a few weeks behind now. So wait till the roses start. The rose rather starts dropping its leaves when the temperatures are dropping, um, which would probably be mid-November at this stage, um, and do it any time between then, let's say, and, and the kind of end of February. Okay, Suzanne wants to know: Is she too late to plant daffodil bulbs, and are they still available to purchase? 
they are still available in a blatant plug. You can get them on my own website, theirishgardener.com. We are running out of some varieties, all right, but, but we still have quite a lot available. Uh, not too late at all. The opposite this year, it's, again, going back to the temperatures and all this funny climate that we're living in or the changing climate that we're living in. Um, you really want to dip in temperatures before you plant your bulbs as well. So you still have plenty of time to, to plant daffodil bulbs right up to December, January, really. So, yeah, and yes, I mean, apart from my own website, I'm sure they'll still be available in many garden centres and shops as well. OK, Liz wants to know, is it too late to plant out a hydrangea from a pot into the ground to set out no. hydrangea? No, again, not too late at all. Uh, and when something's growing in a pot, you can really do it 12 months of the year, provided, and of course, this might be relevant to, to this question, provided the soil isn't waterlogged, I wouldn't be planting or digging into waterlogged soil for two reasons. Number one, you'll damage the soil structure, but also um, it's no good for the plants to be going straight into waterlogged soil. So provided the soil isn't waterlogged or later in the year that it's not physically frozen, well, then really you can plant 12 months of the year. And provided the hydrangea is a hardy variety of hydrangea and the majority are but some of them are indoor plants some of them are, are you know so if it was bought and, and if it was sold and bought as, a, as an indoor house plant then don't plant it out but if, if it's a normal uh, outdoor hydrangea absolutely plant away now no problem Okay, and uh, Margaret's holly bush is full of red berries. Uh, she wants some of the red berries for flower arranging at Christmas. Will they last? <laughs> Depends on the birds. And my holly bush is also full of berries. Yeah. And I was having a, a, a conversation with somebody there recently, and I'm sure you, 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 you've heard before, Trish, you know about um, it's a sign of a harsh winter when you see so much berries out, and it, it's like nature taking care of itself, feeding the lar- filling the larders for the birds and the wildlife. But holly is just the amount of berry on holly this year. I don't know if anybody else noticed it or not, but it's so bountiful. Um, I hope, I don't know whether it does mean we're going to have a harsh winter or not, but we'll see. Um, in terms of keeping the berries for Christmas, the the, the, the bird that feeds mostly on, on holly is the, the thrush, the mistle thrush. And it tends to eat it later in the season uh, when there's little else available. However, um, if it gets cold quickly, obviously the birds would go at it sooner. What I would do is give, I'd give it a few weeks yet. I mean, we're still, it's the 25th today, isn't it? So we're exactly mm. two months from the day. Um, so I would say give it another month, uh, end of November, just keep an eye that it's not losing its berries to the birds and then cut it into and, and put the stems, plunge the stems into a bucket of damp sand or damp, damp soil. Keep it somewhere cool, not inside yet. Keep it somewhere cool, like a garage or, or a cool garden and shed. And keep your fingers Or somewhere crossed. just where it's protected from the birds. Okay, okay. Uh, I, and then you should be fine. We're over on time. Talk to you next week. Thanks for that, Peter. Peter Dowdle, theirishgardener.com. Talk to you tomorrow at 10. Cork today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie.